Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening to us this week. If you like what you've heard or enjoy the show, and I can't possibly think of any reason why you wouldn't, please share it with a friend and say positive things about us on your favorite social media platforms. If you haven't yet given us a five-star rating, 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 please do so. Pause your recording. Give us a five-star rating and review. Follow us on Twitter at at clergy lay and join our Facebook discussion group, which I shamefully allowed to remain lying dormant this week. Shame on me. Shame on me. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother, Chris, a priest. Hey, Chris, how you doing? I'm pretty proud of myself for not making fun of you for stumbling over that opening. I am I am pulling a muscle here trying to keep myself from patting myself on the back. Well, I, I think the reason you didn't um, you didn't interrupt me be- was because you were confused as to which portion to make fun of. Like right, right. The when you rava- stumble six times, where ratings or where do you begin? Yeah, you yeah. couldn't decide whether you wanted to say ratings or reviews five-star ratings. Uh, so Kirk, again, it's, it's a struggle here not to pat myself too hard on the back, uh, because I, as parents, we, we kind of feel like we're killing it. We're, we're offering our kids all sorts of amazing experiences. So, uh, we've talked about all the things we've exposed our kids to recently. And this week for the first time, we took our kids to a climbing gym. That's really cool. It, it was, it was very cool. And, uh, I think this gym opened in November and we hadn't been there yet. We just had a president's day break where it was, uh, it was very cold. This was in the middle of the, uh, the polar vortex. And, and we just decided to stay in on those days off, uh, from school, um, where we could have gone to the climbing gym. We should have gone then, but uh, this time it was on a, on a weekday and the kids got all the time they needed and Jordan climbed until she got blisters on her fingers. It was fantastic. That's awesome. So she climbed until she could climb no more. Indeed. <laughs> That's great. How did Isaac do? Isaac did very well uh, too. They, they, the next day he asked, like, can we go back? Said, well, we can't go there every day. How did, how did Christopher do? I didn't actually climb. It was kind of a spur of the moment decision. I, I didn't really dress for it. And oh, so next yeah. time we go back. The wrong shoes. Didn't oh, have the Kirk, right warm up. Like Kirk, Kirk, they, 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 they give you shoes. You're not oh, going to climb okay. in your own shoes. Yeah. Silly, silly Kirk. But you hadn't warmed up, I bet. Or is that an old man joke? Yeah. Okay. No. 
I hadn't, but I could it's have. A, it's a thing. Yeah, yeah, you know. Next time I go, uh, so I'm excited. Maybe forward maybe... arm circles, forward arm circles, backward arm circles. I'm actually really interested <laughs> to see, you know, Kirk and I, uh, Kirk, you and I did a lot of climbing, not with ropes or anything, but yeah, growing up where we grew up, that scampering up rock faces was just a thing we did. There's yes. a, a, a funny piece of family lore yeah. <laughs> where in Idaho, we were climbing up. Uh, you were climbing up a rock. I was videoing it and I declared, Kirk is at the top. I'm turning off the camera now. At which point you fell all the way down. I don't know, 25 feet skidding against this. It was at piece. least 90 feet. <laughs> yes, at least. Yeah. Or so it felt as I went tumbling down the rock face. Yeah. No, no, but I, it was enough to like scrape my entire front up. My, my, my shins, my thighs, my belly, my chest, my arms, my hands. Yeah. 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 It was yeah. kind of miserable. So we're, we're excited for this new chapter in, in our life. Uh, Jordan didn't quite make it to the top of, of the... So for anyone who is into climbing, they, they have ratings for each route. And the... the gosh, I'm already forgetting. Uh, is it 5.3? Three five point four would be their easiest one, and Jordan almost made it to the top of that. But it goes all the way up to like five point one one, and uh, Isaac did did very well too. He made it maybe halfway up. But they the fact is they just enjoyed it. I mean they would go part way up, and you're on this auto belay thing. So when you get kind of too tired, essentially they would just kick back from the wall and then just slowly go down <laughs> to the mat. Yeah. There's a whole bouldering area that's graded a different way, starting with V something all the way up to V something. But a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Maybe I'll post a video in the chat group or in well, the Facebook group. Well, I saw Star Trek Generations. <laughs> and so I know that in the future, when we climb rock faces, like Captain James Tiberius Kirk climbs the rock face as a middle-aged man of Yosemite. Is that El Capitan? Is that what El he's Capitan. Doing? See, <laughs> I'm uh, uh, El Capitan is is climbing El Capitan. See, see, see. Our, our our equipment will be so good that we will not need ropes. But didn't he like? Wasn't he solo like free soloing yeah. it, and then yes. fell? And Spock had like flying shoes and and caught him or something. Oh, huh. as a as a Captain Kirk fan, I think I may have conveniently forgotten that fact. <laughs> But I just remember he had like super sticky shoes and with his good old fashioned American can do willpower, he just climbed the dang thing. So that's how, that's all you need is is a future, a plucky (laughs) attitude and that good old American (laughs) stick to itiveness. That's right. Kirk, what's new in the Shire? Uh, What's new is uh, our spring thaw um, has suddenly our, our kids outside, like riding bikes, like through mud and stuff like that, which is fine. Right, playing basketball and like the ball lands in a mud puddle and it flies everywhere, but it's fine. It's fun. Suddenly, the neighborhood kids are all out. Um, <laughs> it's like you're seeing kids you haven't seen in in, in well in months in months. Um, but it's do you notice it's uh it's darker in here? So I'm gonna turn off my my um, winter mood light. Notice how dark it is in here. It's the sun dark. is shining outside. Do you know why it's so dark in here? It's sunny out. There's no snow for it to reflect off of. Mm. Our snow is gone. Our mm. snow is gone. So, so that's happening. Um, George is also 
plowing his way through uh, the Harry Potter books. And so is demanding to watch each of the movies after, after, we're, um, after he's read that book. So last night we finished up book four, The Goblet of Fire. If you remember, that's where it takes like the really a dark and adult turn. Um, it's interesting. Uh, the first three books kind of have this very fun, happy, reliable rhythm where the school year starts. Something happens, something's discovered. Um, the, uh, the heroes get there, get into a bit of trouble. They have to figure their way out. They figure their way out in the end, springtime returns and the, the, the school term is over and everyone's happy and they'll come back next year, a year older. Um, but th at this one, um, the, the movie does not end happily. Nothing's tied mm. up. Um, <laughs> Voldemort has been released. Uh, an important character has died. No one's safe. <laughs> no one who knows if people are going home. So it's really interesting. George is such a uh, such a more bold. George and Daphne are such better movie watchers than I was as a kid. Christopher, I don't remember. Were you a bold movie watcher, or were you like me, where you'd stand up and begin to duck out of the room? I was certainly more bold than you, but I I was a pretty big chicken for for some things. Yeah. So so my kids are splitskies. Okay. <laughs> uh, George and Daphne, the two youngest, they'll sit down through anything. I bet they'd watch a Saw movie with me. I'd get up and leave and they'd be like, fine. Like, dad, we're, like, we're out of popcorn. Get more popcorn. And then my oldest two are constantly getting up to leave. And I, until I begin to be like, I'm like, wait, this, this scene? You can't handle this scene? What is it about this scene? And Christopher, it's stuff that like would make our dad never, <laughs> like just, well, he's, not even he's... like terrifying stuff, but awkward right. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what gets our dad is is awkward stuff. Like, mm -hmm. so if you were watching a rom com, like he would, you know, that's the most uncomfortable. He'd just get up and leave. He couldn't couldn't stick around. But I had I had an aha moment last night watching Harry Potter movies. Uh, what a, a, a kind of a, a great character actor that I've always liked. Um, I realized played um, after the first couple of movies, the the initial actor for um, the headmaster of Hogwarts. What's his name? Michael Gambon. Oh my gosh. You just like cut through the storytelling and got to it. Yeah. Michael Gambon. I didn't know that was Michael Gambon. Oh, you didn't. Oh. I didn't. He's like a chameleon, the long hmm. hair and the beard and the robe and the hat and the wand. And suddenly it's, he just like became uh, he's a distinctive voice though. Doesn't he? Yes, he does. It's his, his, his voice is awesome. His voice. Okay. So um, this, this reminded me of then, then we started watching, uh, the, the boys just have an appetite. They want to plow, start plowing through kind of expanded universes, right? So what's on Disney? The X-Men universe is on Disney, right? Mm. So we start to watch X-Men. And <laughs> they suddenly declare, I didn't even, I knew it, but I hadn't thought about it. Uh, Ian McKellen, who the boys love as Gandalf, plays Magneto, one of the villains. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're just like, I don't know if I can do this. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I won't be able to appreciate Gandalf. Like, well, yeah, yeah. So that's this, this may be a bridge well, too Mag far. But Magneto's kind of an inter interesting villain, isn't he? Oh, I agree. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, like, he's not like bad for the sake of being bad. He's, he's, he and, and, uh, Professor Xavier, what is, is that his name? Professor Xavier. X. Xavier. Do they, do they call Which him X? always bothered me. X Xavier. Yes, Professor Xavier. Yep. It's Xavier. You like you don't pronounce the X in Xavier. Precisely. Precisely. Yeah. 
ex Exeter. No, um, but you're right. They have they have a kind of a lovely friendship. Yeah. Well, it's it's like they both want good things for mutants. They just disagree on the like. Uh, it, it's it's like uh, Magneto's the Malcolm X, right? Right. Yep. It's Martin Luther King versus Malcolm X. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Very good. So, yeah. So we have fun cinematic times in our house as we're the kids want to, and it's fun because I haven't seen those in like 18 years. So, I mean, at this point, like I'm, an, I'm, I'm, I'm a goldfish, you know, tap on, tap on my, tap on the glass. I'll be like, Oh, who are you? Right. So <laughs> I'm watching it again, essentially for the first time. Yeah. It's lots of, nice. lots of fun. Nice. Have you guys, have you guys uh, ex explored um, the X-Men universe at all? We have, I think mostly, what are they calling it? The kind of the, the next, <laughs> the next generation. Yes, I don't know if, yeah. I don't know if they've seen the originals. Maybe, maybe, but I think they've seen more of the, you know, the, the cast has changed. I, th I think you'd find it fresh because um, Marvel was both amazing and broke superhero movies because I mean, just everything is effects now. And uh, much like Christopher Nolan's Batman series, um, a lot of this is character driven um, or like Logan riding fast in a motorcycle or stuff, you know, like not, not obvious special effects and green screen stuff and not even green screen stuff, but just CGI. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like old, old, old school acting. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, we may have watched it, but it's, it's already been long enough ago that, that we could dip back in and it would seem fresh for them. Yes. But, but again, like I, I don't love those movies, so it won't be that that fun for me. So it's fine. And uh, and and then um, my children were then asking me about, well, if we're if we uh, if we're going to be watching the X Men, then of course um, we're going to be watching um, uh, the Fantastic Four, right, Dad? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I don't know if you want to watch that movie. <laughs> how do how do I tell them how bad it was, Christopher? <laughs> Maybe you they know who played. Do you know who played Flame in the the first? Um, I do. I do. Who? Uh, Chris Evans. Yeah, it was Chris Evans. Yeah. And somehow that didn't destroy his career in the Marvel universe, and and it must have been so forgettable or so poorly watched that that uh, the studios were just like, yeah, it's it's fine. We'll just right. people won't remember. He can be Captain America. It's fine. It's fine. Well, I'm it's like Ryan Reynolds played Green Lantern in right. Yes, what I guess did. was a terrible movie, and then also Deadpool. Yeah, and yeah. People are like, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, uh, many audiences suffered many things, um, <laughs> as did the Son of Man suffer many things, Christopher.
This week's gospel comes from Mark chapter 8, verses 31 to 38. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. Peter And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with holy angels. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, Kirk, I think this week could appropriately be named Substitutional Atonement Week. Ooh, I like it. I like it. We, we I'm talked down about any week we get to talk about the atonement. Yeah, we 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 talked in the past in a past episode about the different theories of atonement and how we cannot break, we cannot reject substitution because it is throughout scripture. And so the first reading, uh, so of course every week we focus on the gospel reading, but uh, we have an Old Testament reading that's always paired to the gospel. And and this week, do you know what it is, Kirk? Oh, I was going to cheat, but I won't cheat. Um, I forget. It's Genesis 22, where oh, yeah. God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And of course, Abraham is obedient. He trusted the Lord. He, he knows, I mean, Abraham wasn't always obedient. He didn't always trust the Lord. In his old age, he doubted the Lord's provision of a son. And he was convinced by his wife to lie with his servant, Hagar, and have a child. Uh, because he didn't trust the Lord and actually would deliver him a son. But he did um, through Isaac. And um in in this passage we see god providing a sacrifice that that um when god saw that he did not withhold his son his only son whom he loved and of course this is a parallel to our father in heaven um who did not withhold his son his only son whom he loved and and there's an interesting discomfort in christianity this is one thing that i don't have the context to to visibly see kirk uh just based on i've grown up knowing the reality of, of Christ dying for me. And so it like, that was never a hard thing for me to wrestle with, but for some people that they, they, they see this as divine child abuse and they, they struggle to love a God uh, and to see the grace of God. And, and in some pockets of progressive Christianity, they, they, they see this as, only a wicked God would sacrifice his son. But if you read all of scripture, you read in John 10 that Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own volition, essentially, is what he says. I lay it down of, of, of myself. And, uh, it, and so this gospel reading tells us about the necessity. 
It says that the son of man in, in verse 31 of Mark chapter eight, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests. So in, in very progressive Christianity, they're like, well, he didn't actually have to die. He just, it's, he died. He gave up his life as a, as a way to show the corruption of power and, and or exemplar. maybe, or more exemplar as, as a sacrificial way. And in my mind, that would make the father a monster to send his son on a mission to, to, to give his life for essentially no reason. Um, but in fact, he sent him for a reason because this was the one way to reconcile each of us to the father. And uh, so, so this is uh, a difficult thing for Jesus' disciples to, to, to digest, to understand. And, and I think I pointed out last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago, as we were um, looking at, it was, it was um, in fact, sorry, two weeks ago, Transfiguration, where we were in Mark 9, and I wanted to look back at Mark 8 and to see this connection, um, because this comes right on the heels of Jesus, conf- or of Peter's confession, of who, like, this high point in Peter's life, followed by this kind of lower point where Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And uh, it, it took actually witnessing the death of Jesus and him laying his life down for his disciples to really understand the necessity of it. And this is part of why Jesus... Uh, in order for them to actually, they had to go through it, witness it for it to make sense for them. And this is part of the mark and secret uh, of being like, don't tell anybody this. Um, Cause until they understand what this messiahship looks like, that it wasn't this victorious political messiah, that in fact it was um, part of being the messiah, part of being the Christ, the anointed one was to suffer and be rejected and, and to be killed in it after three days rise again. And so the last thing I'll say before I hand you the baton uh, is uh, the teaching that follows this, um, this teaching in, in verse 34, where Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so uh, taking up our cross, I mean, we could talk about this for a long time, right? The, the, what it means to take up one, one's cross um, but ultimately, um, the cross was this shameful way of execution. The Romans crucified lots of people. And uh, we had a theology segment on the theology of a cross of, of the cross, and that Jesus demonstrates that his way is the way of the cross. And so anyone who's going to follow him has to choose the way of the cross, this lowly way. Um, because, Kirk, as you all say, the way up is down. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, and I mean, one of the themes of uh, w- a related a related point that uh, that Jesus makes here regarding the way up being down um, is that of is that of um, uh, gaining the world and forfeiting one's soul. Um, there's a renewal movement in the Middle Ages. Um, it was started by Saint Francis. Um, this is probably at the high point of the wealth and power of the institutional church um, that, that, that sought to renew a, something called, a doctrine called apostolic poverty um, that you see in Acts and in the, in, in the bit of the Gospels in Jesus' ministry um, that, uh, that the church had no possession or the, or the apostles, the disciples had no possessions. And you see, you see a bit of that here, right? Um, uh, what can a man give in return for his soul, Right. Um, whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. Whoever will save his life will lose it. Um, any grasping, any striving that we have in this life is to no avail. 
So there's a bit of a Franciscan gust of wind gusting through there, right? Uh, um, if our if our emphases are too worldly, if our eyes are set on worldly things, uh, we may be maybe missing the point. Um, our eyes should be lower <laughs> on on things like servanthood and serving God and serving our neighbors. Um, I also I also love that you brought up the uh, my, one of my one of my like I in life we all have like basically only four different points we make and we like rinse and repeat the four points <laughs> and. Uh, one of the four points that, uh, that I love to, one of the drums I like to beat on, like to pound my spoon in my high chair and talk about the inverse relationship between Christology and anthropology. And, uh, and you're right, um, Jesus teaches his disciples that, that, his, that his suffering and his death are necessary, um, not an accident, um, not to be a moral exemplar, um, but, but are necessary, not, not, not as divine child abuse. Um, and if we have, uh, we talked about this, Christopher, um, in our parish at, at Sunday school last Sunday, and um, we began our Lenten series um, talking about mortality and sin. And, uh, and, and the, the opening line of our Sunday school material said, we Christians are realists. When we look in the mirror, we see blank. And the answer is, a cadaver, right? <laughs> um, in light of Ash Wednesday, which had just been, you know, four days before, um, we, we, we have to be honest in Christians, especially Christians in Lent, about our nature. We are walking corpses, right? We are on the way to the grave. Um, and so we should have a properly low anthropology, that is, a proper, a proper understanding of who we are as people, right? Um, we, uh, our, our, our mortality is a just result of our rebellion against God. And not just Adam's rebellion, it's not inherited. Um, Christopher, we examined uh, the 39 articles, Article 9 on original sin. Um, our, we don't just inherit original sin from Adam, it is inherent in us and it informs and contributes to our decisions, the way we harm ourselves and others and defy God and what we do and what we don't do. Um, and so we need a divine Christ we need a God-man. We need an innocent sacrifice. We need a lamb of God, not just a lamb, not just a Passover lamb, not just a really good lamb every year in the temple. We need the divine lamb, the perfect lamb, the once and for all lamb. Um, and so if we have, uh, this is the inverse relationship between Christology and anthropology. If we have an honest assessment of who we are, um, we will not be offended at passages like this, right? Um, where Christ tells his disciples and tells us what must happen. Um, instead, our heart will leap um, with joy, <laughs> understanding that this is um, what love looks like, and this is God's love for us, not divine retribution or child abuse, um, because this isn't God doing it to someone else. Um, our doctrine of the Trinity, our doctrine of Christology, is that uh, Jesus is God, just like the Father is God. <laughs> so this is God laying down his life, for us. Uh, and, and so this is why, Christopher, and not to get to the leap to the end of Lent, we'll talk about this more when we get to Lent. This is why we call it Good Friday, not Regrettable Friday, <laughs> not Black Friday, but Good Friday. So yeah, yeah, I agree with all you said. Kirk, why do you suppose it is? Because I don't mean to to rag on progressive Christians. Like, I don't want to pile on. Sure. Why, why is it so hard... Uh, for them to acknowledge um, the distance between us and Christ. Um, 
for instance, for instance. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the Collect of the Day is one of my favorites. I love it. Yes, yes. I'm so glad you brought that up. Almighty God, you know that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. And ultimately, that 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 is why we need Christ. That's why we need Jesus. It's because we have nothing inside of ourselves to help ourselves. And and um, a guy who's actually a, a self-identified liberal who I whom I love, uh, um, Robert Capon, um, mm-hmm. uh, he says, like, we need to reject, like, the metaphors we have for what God has done for us. And I'm trying to remember the, the two that, that seem like uh, monergism and um, synergism, but you know, there, there are people who are like, so, so he's talking about like a lifeguard at, at the beach where some people like to say, well, you know, we're throwing a life ring, a lifesaver ring and we grab it, you know, that, that we are participating that we, we are able to help ourselves in some way. Um, and then, you know, maybe the monergists are like, well, no, um, in fact, like God, God comes and, and oh, yeah. does more for us. But his oh. metaphor is like, he's like, throw it all out. Oh, he's like, your stuff dr-. is so tiring to me. He, yeah. He's like, Robert Kibben's like, no, you've drowned. Yeah. You know, right. Thank and you. he, thank and, you. and he yes. drags you to shore and resurrects you. Right. We have a um, God that brings dead things to life. That is exactly right. Yep. Right. Yep. <laughs> we are dead in sin and made alive in Christ. Not made alive because we have participated with him. Um, we are dead in ourselves. And there's nothing Amen. we can do about that. Amen. We have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. And and so um I, I want to point out that that's true, but also like well, like why is this a hard thing? So I remember one time like Googling that that uh, actual that collect. Um I don't know if I was looking for the whole collect or but one of the first entries was a blog post that was like, took issue with this colleague saying, is this really true? Like, yeah. of course we can help ourselves. Like it, 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 it was uncomfortable with the low anthropology of this yeah. colleague. Yeah, I agree. I don't have to, I just, I, I yawn and I just get exhausted. Um, I, I mean, you probably have encountered um, blog posts or, or Twitter spats or, or you, YouTube um, posts, uh, where where people will hair split over how we cooperate with God, and I agree with Capon. Like that that metaphor is just a like a, like a dead end that will lead you into spiritual exhaustion. Um, no, nope, 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 no, no, no. It is resurrection. <laughs> that that is the metaphor. You're right. No, I think so, Christopher. There, I was one time. I haven't done this in a long time. Uh, I used to periodically on YouTube check out what's happening at Trinity Wall Street, one of the historic Anglican parishes in North America, one of the wealthiest parishes in North America, um, just by historical accident, because it's on Wall Street, right? Um, and so like- Yeah, use... like it, it, it predated the stock market. <laughs> that's right, that's right, that's right. Um, and so I was watching a sermon and uh, the guy unironically, the rector unironically, um, in order to kind of kick off, I forget if it was an Advent series or a Lenten series on adult discipleship, um, used uh, unironically, not realizing that this is kind of something that that um, that people like you and I would 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 use to maybe gently mock uh, Christians who are, um, I guess we would say, Pelagian or semi-Pelagian. The 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 the, sim- the series was subtitled "Just Do It," like Nike says, "Just do uh, it." Uh. <laughs> okay, so you and mentioned so the word Pelagian. The- you mentioned the word Pelagian. Yeah. Like, I, I just want to briefly define that, that that there was a a historical figure named Pelagius, who kind of had this bootstrap theology. 
and and the church addressed it and the church and this is where it's important for the church uh it's interesting how heresy can clarify doctrine right um and and any heresy comes from uh a, a kernel belief, of truth kernel of truth that may be somewhat appealing like even mm -hmm. arianism which is the big one that led to the council of nicaea um, and, and clarification of the doctrine of the Trinity. And still exists today with Jehovah's right. Witnesses and Seventh-day Adventists, right? The, the idea of Arianism was the idea of having a low anthropology that, that, of course, man is so separated from God that God could not take on human flesh, right? That, that So Jesus must not have been fully divine right. if he were to be a person because God would never um, humiliate himself in that way. So the and, and, what that, and, what the, and what that did was, was that clarify the doctrine of the Trinity and all sorts yeah. of good things. Yeah. And Pelagius, with this bootstrap theology of, of just kind of being like um, – help yourself, you know, physician, yeah. heal thyself, uh, yeah. helped, helped clarify in, in Christian doctrine, how helpless we are. Right. In our that's right. So the, so the kernel of truth that he stretched and, and snapped to the breaking point was that God calls us to holiness and good works. Right. Um, which I exhort <laughs> right, right. people, Kirk, and I yeah. will always do that. Amen. Um, yeah, and yeah. that is, but that is held in, um, intention with the idea that we are dead in our sins. Yeah. Um, so we we urge one another on as we see Paul the the uh, the author of the doctrine of justification. If we're going to talk about yeah. um, you know human uh, humans who in a God breathed fashion are articulate biblical of godly doctrines, Paul was the one who did that. But Paul would also urge people to holiness. Yeah. So Christopher, to answer your question, why why does certain pockets of progressive Christianities have fall into a low Christology and a high anthropology. I think it's probably an implementized eschatology. <laughs> so a sense that we're building the kingdom of God here. Okay, Kirk, um, you're, you're gonna have to break that down a little bit. <laughs> eschatology end is times. what? Uh, end times. Kingdom of God. When the kingdom of God comes, what will it be like? Well, well the kingdom of God has come, but you're saying when it's constant. When Christ comes <laughs> with with eyes of flame and a sword in his mouth to judge wipes away every tear yes yep. yeah we, okay. yeah and, uh, and, and so I, to imminentize the eschaton is is to what meaning we're building the kingdom of god here and now and and if and and, and if you're not going to fall down in depression and bitter and and um bitter disillusionment you have to believe that you have the ability to do it um and so it's not something that that, that christ will do unilaterally on the last day um, but that you're participating in, in now and not in a non-trivial way, but in a real way. Right. Um, so I, I think that may have something to do with it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Any, any other thoughts? Uh, I mean, we could, that, that's this too, Christopher could yeah. be a, should be a, let me write this down. This should be a, a fertile segment for another time. Any other thoughts before, because we have, we have two, two other fun yeah. things we want to talk about. Let's move on to theology. Let's do it. So this week for our theology segment, we 
previewed last week, we said we should talk about this next week. Uh, we want to talk about some some misconceptions about Lent because some of our, our lower church or evangelical brothers and sisters probably view Lent with a, a certain skepticism. They see it as extra biblical. It's, you know, it's since it's not in the Bible, it's not something that they're obligated to do. And I would agree. Like it's, but like, I think that's the, that's a category error, Kirk. Yeah. To say, well, we don't have to do this. Um, and, and some, in fact, express freedom saying, isn't it great that we are unshackled, unburdened from Lent, which to them is a burden. And, and that makes me sad because Lent, in fact, is, is not a burden. And so we previewed this a little bit last week. Um, and and I, I guess uh, I, I shared my conclusion to this segment last week because it's, it's hard not to. The point of Lent is not this, the, the, the fast itself but what the fast is preparation for. Yes. So um, we'll, be, we'll, we'll begin with the end in sight that um, Lent uh, is, is, any Lenten fast is not about the fast itself, but about what is to come. Um, but with that in light, we, we do want to tackle um, some serious misconceptions that people have um, because we, we do think that Lent is a, a good thing. It's and certainly not burdensome. And I would commend to to every listener, uh, Aaron Damiani's wonderful book, The Good of Giving Up. And uh, the subtitle is something to the effect of uh, how one guy found freedom in Lent. It's not that. Hang on one second. I'm efforting the subtitle. All right. Go ahead. Talk while I'm efforting. So the subtitle is much simpler than I thought. It's discovering the freedom of lent that in fact it's not a burden it is lent is freedom and uh so how how do you want to do this segment kirk do you you want to since i've kind of given you my misconceptions do you want to just read them and we can talk about them one by one yeah i mean we can we can uh go through those but since you started with uh it's not biblical uh did did you are are you kind of ready to move on from that one because i i do have Kind of okay. Like so, so Lent itself isn't biblical, but of course, fasting is, right? Right. Yeah, as is prayer, yeah. as is almsgiving, right? Which are right. kind of the three, the three Lenten disciplines. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, 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 so a skeptic may say, Kirk, well, you're supposed to do this all the time. That's why? What? Yeah. Why? Why uh, focus on that now? Uh, why focus on it ever? Then, uh, <laughs> there, I mean, there's the great, there's the great line from The Incredibles. Um, uh, when uh, when they're trying to figure out how to deal with the fact that they're special and have special abilities, and there's some people that are ordinary and don't have special abilities, and uh, and and um, the Incredibles, Mrs. Incredible says, um, but Jack or not Jack, uh, but but Dash, everybody's special, and Dash says, isn't that just another way of saying that nobody's special? <laughs> if every day is Easter, then it's never really Easter. <laughs> If we're always in prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, then it's never really Lent. Like it's it's important. We you know this if you have children, if you have friends, if you there are times in your life when you need to get to get to do the hard work of doing a particular thing. You'll never actually fix up your bathroom if you say every day is fix up, is fix it day. You'll never actually do spring cleaning. If you say it's always time for spring cleaning, right? And um, we have seasons in our life when we decide yeah. to tackle certain things. And and while the church calendar isn't in the Bible, um, certainly, uh, well, the forty, church, 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. Certainly uh, a bit like marking time through um, through the, the feasts and the festivals in the yeah. Old Testament um, in commemorating and remembering um, God's self saving yeah. work. Um, what, you know, and we're reading through Esther right now um, on Wednesday nights, um, God's self salvation of Israel in, in this time of trial um, when they were going to be wiped out, uh, had this permanent festival of Purim. Yep. So, uh, so, so certainly marking time in, in that way is, is important in the Bible, but also um, the, the one thing that I love about the church calendar is, is that by having these things pop up throughout the year, they make sure, again, like you're saying, if every day, if, if every day we're celebrating everything in the Bible, then like, we're not actually doing it. Like, well, we're, you know, we're celebrating these 7,000 things, which are, you know, biblical truth. It's like, well, no, um, that, that's, you know, for instance, a few weeks ago, we had uh, World Mission Sunday, right? Yeah. Which yeah. is a reminder to us so that it doesn't fall off our radar. Yes, we are always great commission people. Yes. <laughs> This is true, right? Um, right? But we have, but we don't want that to fall off our radar because there's so many things that God is communicating to us through His Word. So we have one Sunday dedicated to the reminder that we are great commissioned people. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to say something really provocative in the face of uh, uh, is Lent biblical or Lent isn't biblical? I'm going to say Lent is biblical. <laughs> Christopher, are, are you familiar with the hymn "The Glory of These Forty Days"? I am. So it's, it's traditionally, uh, it's attributed to Pope Gregory the first. And I was just kind of reading up. Um, we we're not sure why it's attributed to him, but okay. So let's assume that, that he wrote it, but four verses. And, um, it makes an incredibly intensely powerfully biblical argument for Lent, right? Hmm. Um, because it talks each verse is devoted to a different, um, uh, a different episode of 40 days, a different episode of, of fasting and, and, and intense encounter with God in a call to holiness. So um, the glory of these 40 days, we celebrate with songs of praise for Christ by whom all things were made himself has fasted and has prayed, right? So we're called to 40 days of fasting and prayer because, because through Christ, right? Because following his temptation and, and into prayer and fasting in the wilderness. Verse two, alone in fasting, Moses saw the loving God who gave the law, right? So Moses and to Elijah fasting came the deeds and chariots of flame, right? Elijah as well had a period of 40 days of prayer. And the, the, the steed, right? Not deeds. The steed. Yep. As in yeah. horse. Yep. Yeah. So Daniel trained his mystic sight delivered from the lion's might, right? So Daniel um, used prayer and fasting and John, the Savior's friend, became the herald of Messiah's name. John on Patmos has this, uh, at the end of his life, goes into this, this really intense life of, of, of austere prayer and visions. And then the last verse, then grant, O God, that we may too return and fast in prayer to you, our spirit strengthen with your grace, and give us joy to see your face. So there, it's intensely biblical. We follow these great holy men of the Bible in a season of prayer and fasting um, and drawing near to our Lord. Uh, next objection. Um, checking boxes. Lent is just checking boxes. Um, Christopher, I know this is something that, that at times has, 
kind of uh, saddened both you and I when we see people che checking boxes, like kind of sure. casually, like, you know, I like, I like fried fish on Friday. Is that all Lent right. is though, Christopher? Right. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting how, how um, a Lenten fast could suddenly turn into just like feasting on fish, like, yeah. like 17 <laughs> fish fillets on Friday. And it's like, um, are, are you really getting the, the, the idea? Is something lost here with these? Like, I, um, I live in a, I live in, um, I live in a bit of a time warp, uh, a heavily Catholic yes, yeah. area in Pittsburgh yeah. and like, um, a religiously Catholic area as well. Like this, it's a healthy diocese, a very church going, uh, mm -hmm. Roman Catholic diocese, but like on lunch on Friday at work. <laughs> I, already yes i had today i had a core i had my my phone was blowing up christopher with one of my coworkers getting orders and i know over lunch everyone's gonna be like oh, oh i'm so full because like of, of like all the fish that they ate <laughs> on friday in lent in which they're supposed to be fasting <laughs> but from, the from meat <laughs> right. yeah so yeah. like we need to be aware of checking boxes right that's a yeah. Lenten misconception. Lent is yeah. not checking boxes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's funny. I, I've heard so many sermons in my life and some stick out my brain. And I remember Father Ethan Magnus preaching a wonderful sermon that was, um, God doesn't want you to give up chocolate. God wants your heart. Yeah. So, so like we, we lose sight if we're, if we're just checking the boxes of eating fish on Friday instead of meat, if it's not a spiritual thing that draws our heart to Christ, then yeah, it's, it's a, it's a pretty empty thing. Are we against Christopher for the record? Are we against fasting for meat on Fridays? Absolutely not. No, no, no we're not. No, <laughs> but if you're going to fast for meat, um, feel the fast fat, actually have it be sort of fastish, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, next. and, and, and Kirk, we're not going to be yeah. comprehensive here because there's yeah. a lot that can be said. I mean, yeah. we had a teaching on Sunday night on <laughs> like embracing Lenten practices. And in that teaching, I, I had a, another priest uh, cover that teaching. And uh, he, when he talked about fasting, he said fasting is, he, he defined fasting as skipping a meal. Yep. yep. Where, where, I, where I believe that, fa that you could fast from other things, that like you could do a social media fast, or, right. like, and we'll get to that in a, in a minute, but it's more yeah. than just skipping meals. Um, but but his point was that that fasting and skipping the meal is tied to the almsgiving, that like you take the money you would have spent on the meal and that goes to the poor. And so there's 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 there are good points to take there, but, yeah. but we're, we're, uh, we're going to have a very targeted discussion today. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, Christopher, for you and me, um, when we say Lent is not checking boxes, if you're fasting from a thing, you should feel its absence. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Not just like oh, I did, I did, I, I, I gave up the blah blah blah, and um, and 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 it doesn't kind of, you don't you don't kind of feel its absence, and that that doesn't drive you to prayer or an understanding of your the sinfulness of your desires or how needful you are, how reliant you are on other things to bring you happiness or satisfaction. All right, um, and uh, and and Kirk, 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 and and the the realization that you just defined shows our need of Jesus. Yes. Like that Amen. is the point. That is so it's the point is not to get together with, um, I'm sorry. I don't mean to rag on Catholics at all. Like <laughs> Catholic friends, I love you, but like, yes. um, we're, you're, you're missing the point. If it's like, it's so fun on Friday nights are, you know, with this tradition, <laughs> we get together and we eat so much like that's all that is great. Um, but that, but that isn't reminding you of your hunger and your need for Jesus. Right. There's no sanctification there. Yep. Um, it's just a Catholic thing. 
I feel like we kind of covered that. Christopher, isn't that just a Catholic thing? <sighs> no. No. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, and we can even link to uh, sections from our prayer book um, that, uh, that specifically, uh, it's, it's, it actually um, has been historically a very Protestant thing as well. It's an ecumenical thing. It's a Christian thing. Um, fasting is a Christian thing. Um, our prayer books call us to fasting for the 40 days of Lent. Like you said, Christopher, that kind of has a double meaning, um, either, either giving something, giving up something um, that, 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 that we enjoy or giving up meal, a meal. Um, we're called to fast on the ember days. Um, and that, that, was, that was both yesterday and tomorrow um, after the first Sunday in Lent. Uh, all Fridays of the year, except Christmas day, Epiphany or any Friday between those feasts so so like fasting on friday is a good and it's, it's a good and spiritually efficacious thing it is not just a catholic thing and again we're not regulating the catholics but we're called to it as well as anglicans as protestant anglicans um not suffering with or for jesus christopher when you when you um pray more when you fast more when you give sacrificially during lent are you are you entering into christ's suffering no, I'm not. Yeah, and I think this, this is a misconception probably in practice. I don't think any church teaches that we are finding solidarity with Christ, that we are that we are um, intentionally suffering so that we, we can be like Christ and suffer with him. Um, it, I, I think this is a practice. Uh, it's like I, I looked and I read like Catholic statements on Lent. Uh, it, I don't see it anywhere in, in the, the teaching of the U.S. Catholic bishops, um, but I know that um, either it is a practice that is incorrect or it is is a perception that some people practice lent this way and i think that maybe um some protestants would see lenten some people who have a, a, a skeptical view of lent would see it as um well those people are are think that they're somehow suffering for the sake of jesus and, and yeah. that's not why we that's not why we fast we don't fast so we can suffer with jesus how about suffering for jesus <laughs> We don't do that either. <laughs> you mean no. he's not impressed by your suffering, by your grumbling stomach? <sighs> he is not. He is not. It's it lent, uh, so, fasting is not meritorious. Um, it doesn't win it, us favor with God. No, and and I guess <laughs> I guess as we're listing these things, we we could be repetitive in saying this is what it is. Like it it reminds us of our own hungers and our need for Jesus. That apart from Him, uh, you, when we feel that um, that physical hunger for food we were like i need jesus kirk what was that yeah. quote you had from from uh that may or may not have been <laughs> bishop uh robert duncan yeah i think that might i think i've i've wrote it down and i've had it and i have it in my notes and i i, I um i write it down kind of for my uh, in the document that i use for kind of my lenten discipleship and i think it's robert duncan um a grumbling stomach is a reliable call to prayer mm. yeah and yeah. I think that's that's right. Um, how about and, and, what, and whatever it is that, that 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 you fast from, if you fast from social media, if yep. if you uh, you know kind of feel the desire to, we talked about the and and we're going to talk about this in our next segment on um, on culture when we talk about uh, a movie that depicts addiction. Yeah. Last week I talked about when you have that emptiness, like uh, part of part of uh, addictions is knowing the trigger like what is the emptiness that drives me to the substance so yeah. as 
if you give up social media, when you reach for the phone, just so you don't have to be alone with your thoughts, that is a reminder of your need for Jesus. Yeah. 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 Amen. Um, here's the next one. Uh, not public. Mm. Uh, should, uh, should other people be able to tell that you're keeping a Holy Lent, Christopher? No, no. And, and so, um, yeah, this is something that, that I kind of struggle with when people on social media will talk about what they're fasting yeah. about, um, that, that, that this is kind of not part of the, uh, the biblical teaching on fasting, which comes uh, in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you fast, and again, it's assumed that you fast. Right. You know? right. Yeah. It's, not, it's not if, it's when you fast. Anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Um, so um, your fasting isn't about public declaration of it. And I'm not saying that pe when people talk about it, there is a solidarity in it. But in, in fact, we're losing something of, of in fasting when we talk about it publicly, that this should, this is a secret thing between you and, and the Lord. And if it's, um, if you're tackling something, uh, if you're truly tackling something and want to have a, um, um, a challenging fast, have a Lenten buddy. Um, yeah. But yeah. not, don't, don't publicly journal about it on social media. <laughs> don't do it that way. Um, if you need some solidarity, find someone, but otherwise keep it private. Keep it private. Um, it's not, it, it is not a holy badge. It's not mm -hmm. a holy badge to wear in public. That's not, not the point. I, I completely agree, Christopher. How about this? It's a second New Year's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's not like, well, whatever bad habits you didn't kick at New Year's that like, yeah, 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 kick now. Uh, fasting, uh, if, if you should give up something, if like, if there's a bad habit in your life, kick it by all means, right. kick it, like get rid of it. Um, but that's not what a Lenten fast is about. In fact, Lenten fast, we don't give up the bad things in our lives. We give right. up good things, right. nutritious things, helpful things. Yeah. Don't stop smoking in Lent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. Well, but no, but do stop smoking because right, right. it's bad for you. But right. yeah. Yeah. Um, any, anything else, Christopher, that was kind of, we, 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 we went through the list. I feel like you, uh, you opined um, helpfully on the matter. Yeah. I, I think that that is sufficient. Uh, we'd be happy to field any questions, comments, uh, send them our way. All right. We'll tackle them. Yeah. Let's uh, let's um, let's talk about the way back. So Christopher, you uh, you watched. I was vaguely aware, like a year ago, that you watched a movie um, called The Way Back, and I hadn't even seen its theatrical release. I didn't know anything about it, um, and uh, and you and I had talked about um, I, uh, being 
I'd been stuck in a movie rut. Uh, you and I had been stuck in a, in a rut here on this podcast, uh, not, not kind of being on the same wavelength in terms of watching the same things or reading the same things and having uh, any, any fruitful culture segments to talk about. And I went through a list of movies. Uh, I, I, I texted you a bunch of movies. I'm thinking <laughs> of watching this, 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 and this. And you're like, well, that's dumb. That one's dumb. Uh, that one's dumb. Ooh, ooh. How about The Way Back? And I am so thankful that you, uh, that you wanted to talk about it. Um, the Way Back is a 2020 American sports, uh, sports drama, a, a basketball movie uh, directed by Gavin O'Connor, um, starring Ben Affleck and a bunch of other people that I hadn't heard of, um, but Ben Affleck was enough. Um, it was released by Warner Brothers, Christopher, and it bombed. Critics loved it. Um, Affleck's performance is stunning, uh, intense gravitas, um, I think, and suffering. However, it grossed $14 million for reasons I do not understand. Um, and uh, <laughs> it only had, a, Christopher, it only had a 20-some 20, 20 million dollar budget and couldn't bank it back. I mean, imagine that if you'd have been told uh, you're gonna, you got a $25 million budget movie, but great, this will be fine. Um, what could possibly go wrong? Um, but I loved it. I loved it. Um, it's about a guy by the name of Jack Cunningham. And he is, this is not spoiling anything. This is evident right away, right? Chris Reeves, a day drinking, on the job, yeah. alcoholic, iron worker. And he's been separated from his wife, Angela. Um, is it the, the, the second day of the movie is Thanksgiving Day. So mm, kind of one yeah. of the opening scenes, we see a Thanksgiving dinner with his mom, his sister and her family. Um, and they, they express concern over his drinking, uh, that he's withdrawing from family. Uh, the day after that, he receives a call from an old priest uh, at his Catholic high school, Bishop Hayes High School, where he was a basketball star, I think three-time uh, player of the year, state player of the year, and led the teams to multiple championships. And they haven't been good since. <laughs> and uh, Father Jack asks him to step up. Not Father Jack, he's Jack. Father Divine asked him to, to step up as the school's basketball coach. Um, and uh, he, he says no. He says he'll think about it. He gets uh, passed out drunk, reciting conversations, uh, phone conversations, uh, imagine phone conversations um, about how he's going to turn down the job. And of course, Christopher, in order to move the plot forward, he takes the job, <laughs> right? And... Um, and, and, and of course, for the movie to be any good at all and any interesting, interesting at all, um, they do get better. <laughs> um, they stink and we see them slowly get better. Um, but Christopher, is it like Hoosiers or Coach Carter or a lot of the other basketball movies that, that follow the very satisfying, predictable trend line where the, you have this new coach with some baggage, but he has a fresh start, steps in, and slowly they begin, he takes this scrappy bunch of kids and leads them ultimately to a satisfying championship. Is it one of those type of movies? I don't think so. It is not. I, <laughs> I think it's quite different um, for a number of reasons. So so maybe we'll jump into our spoiler uh, yeah. discussion. So I, I would encourage each of you to, to watch this movie, but if you don't want spoilers, I would say pause it. And it's, on, it's on HBO Max. If you have an HBO Max subscription, go watch it tonight on HBO Max and then pick up here. And I would also encourage you to watch the movie Warrior by the same director. Oh, it's phenomenal. Kirk, have you seen Warrior? Uh, I have not, but I'm writing it okay. down right now. It is. It's excellent. And again, it's it's like a sports movie that's not cliched. Like you watch it and and it works in a way that's not 
um, predictable. Can, and, can we and also say that it that it's that it's R, and it's R. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's it's very R because of adult themes of addiction, alcoholism, um, death, uh, children, death of children. That's I mean we'll get that we well, we said spoiler alert already. So we learn we learn uh, an hour into the movie. Um, something real like a real gut punch um but but also it's very profane um he is yeah, very yeah. A, a comic and creative um cursing coach if yeah you've ever had a comical or creative cursing coach he's one of those and it, and it makes christopher the team chaplain just visibly squirm in, yeah. in really funny ways but but if it's yeah and then and <laughs> that's what i would say is, is another like really strength good strength of the movie is it's not only poignant and heart and just like heart rending um and and heartfelt and like you, you have not only those emotions but it's funny and part <laughs> yes. of that is part of that is like his attempt to like curse less like uh, in, in front of the chaplain who was visibly uncomfortable when he's cursing. Can, can um, we talk about that conversation very briefly before we move on to other things? Because it was yeah, really a, yeah. it was a really Christian conversation, by the way, about mm -hmm. kind of like a day to day holiness. Um, yeah, yeah. After one game, uh, the, the the chaplain in the bus ride home, like, kind of saddles up to the coach and says, "Hey, coach." Um, uh, you, uh, there's a code of conduct and, um, can you, uh, really tone down the profanity? And he says, like, do you really think in the grand scheme of things in death, like the death of children and genocide? And do you think the man upstairs really cares if I say a few, uh, if I, if I curse and he, and the, do you remember what the, uh, what the chaplain says, what, what the priest say? says? He's like, actually, yeah, our day-to-day -day mm. lives have a profound effect on these students and your conduct matters. So yeah. Well, and, I, and I remember him saying like, like we're trying to build men of character here. Yes, yes, that's right, yeah. And, and I do think that that conversation that, that Affleck actually did or that Affleck's character took that to heart. I believe so. And, and, yep. and you can yep. actually see a change in his coaching that he's just, he's not just teaching basketball. Right. And, and so there's, there's a humorous thing where um, he, uh, Affleck realizes I should call him Coach Jack. Um, yeah. But Jack Jack realizes um, that there's a boy on the team that he spotted with three different girls, yeah. and so it's not okay for this guy to just like be yeah. beating three girls at one time. And so he gets lets the girls decide when he stops running. Like <laughs> yes. he's disciplined by being <laughs> the girls like force him to run until they decide he's had enough uh, discipline. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's funny, right? Yes. Like, yeah, that was good. So, so, so ultimately, um, the, the storytelling I thought was really good in that, um, at first you're like, well, like, what's, what's Affleck's deal? Like what are, what's Jack's deal? Like what, why is he a drunk? Why is he so unhappy? What's going on? Why is he separate? Isn't that skillfully fight? done at first? Very. We know he's a drunk, but we don't know why. So go on. And we don't find out until well into the movie that in fact, um, uh, two things. Number one, he had a bad childhood. Yeah. Um, that in fact, uh, he was offered. And again, Spoiler alert. I mean, we're going full spoiler. Um, that uh, he was offered a full scholarship to Kansas. He was that good of a basketball player. Um, that that Kansas, if you don't know, is is one of the top basketball programs in the country. Um, and he's he turned his he snubbed um that that offer. Um, basically, despite his dad, that that he um he had this complicated relationship with his dad and he, he realized that his dad only appreciated him when he played basketball. And, um, it, 
that was many of the many of one of many of the foolish things that that Jack did as a youth was to say I'm going to punish myself to make my dad feel pain. And do you remember what when he explains this? He's having this conversation driving his point guard home, mm-hmm. and his point guard looks at him incredulously and said, "So." basically your twenties were a giant middle finger to your father. And he's like, ah, I guess, or he's like, or he's like, yeah, I was really dumb or something, but yeah. 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 I mean, but wow. Was that a powerful conversation? Just like in, in (laughs) mentoring this kid. Yeah. Yeah, And then, so the second, second thing is that, is that he lost an eight year, his eight year old son to cancer. Mm -hmm. um, And he just can't get over that. And he talks about, he was, he, he says to, confesses to his, wife he separated from he says i'm angry every day yep and so i mean uh so he drinks he drinks to um to to soften the um the blunt uh to to blunt the pain Mm -hmm. yeah and and so it's sad because it, it does affect his life and um it's interesting uh is it after their first win that he quits drinking that he drives to the bar and then drives home. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a, that's a, that's a moment. He sits there. Um, the bartender comes out, um, delivering like bringing a bag of garbage out to the dumpster, sees him like, Hey, I'll get your spot ready. And something about that is really humiliating that he has a spot and like the bartender needs to get ready for like the sheer volume um, that's about yeah because it's not like he it's not like he goes and, and he takes the edge off with a couple drinks like he gets stumbling um well there's a guy there whose job I'm, seems to be to get him home get him home yeah and we realize we find out near the end of the movie his, his that guy used to take his father home mm. yeah. yeah yeah so um i love that it's not cliched that um their first game they stink Right. His first like um, four games. Yeah. First multi, you know, and 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 um as a basketball fan, Kirk, I I I I loved um just just like like what do you take with it with a team that's not as good? Um so he's like, well, just the basketball strategy of it of like mm-hmm. let's let's steal possessions, let's press, let's 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 yeah. let's make our uh disadvantages our advantages. Um like that stuff was great. That I was a bit that. of, do you remember coach Carter? That was a bit. I haven't, of, I, haven't, I haven't seen coach Carter. Okay. That was a bit of a theme in coach Carter that okay. had the ring of truth. I mean, uh, you, you, you may have played teams, played against teams that were like this or seen teams like this who, who are just better because they're better conditioned and they press the whole and they push the ball the whole stinking time. And that's a way of, he even describes, um, yeah, an yeah. offensive rebound here. That's two points. Yes, um, a steal yeah. and a press. That's four points. That's eight points. That's ten points. That's a win, right? And that's exactly how well coached, hustling yes. teams, pain in the butt teams, how they win, and that, that had the ring of truth to it. And then, uh, and then, what, what I loved is, is he would ask his team. He said, "What did we learn from that last game?" Yes. And so they'd yes. be able to like articulate. Well, we learned. Can Can you remember any of the things that they that they learned um, game to game? The, uh, one of them, the little things matter, little things, which, is, yes. which is such a cliche. And yet, um, well-coached teams, um, pick that up and learn it and care and, and, and really harp on the little things. Oh my gosh. Um, it's so, it's so true though. I mean, like <laughs> a possession here, a possession there, a turnover here, um, getting the rebound, getting position. Oh right. my gosh. Those things add up in ways that you can't calculate. Yeah. Also in terms of basketball movies, Christopher, I found myself, I paused it and I wrote things down. 
um, it captured a certain tang, a certain flavor of high school basketball. Oh like yes, their basketball movies they just kind of generically throw out a soundtrack, like a generic crowd soundtrack. And so I wrote some things down that I heard. I mean, you get you you don't get like you couldn't get the smell of the popcorn, and you couldn't feel your feet like sticking to the bleachers and whatever, right? Like you know some of those other hallmarks of high school basketball. Um, but um, uh, what did I write down? I so, so I wrote down I love all the flavors of high school basketball. The pep band. Right. Yep. And the telltale pep band repertoire, because that is a yes. thing. Right. There's a it, it and it was played. The pep bands were playing some of those repertoires. The cheers. There's a certain repertoire of cheers, like high school cheerleaders aren't like, you know, collegiate cheerleaders or whatever. Like there's a certain kind of repertoire of cheers that they can do. Um, there's there's the sound of a student section in high school that, that, that has a certain sound. The squeak of the shoes whistles, the sound of bouncing basketball. All those stuffs were real and it was, it was great. I loved. Well, I loved and, and I love just like, these weren't sterile gymnasiums. Like yes. they were, they're like you and I played in some, some bad, but eccentric gymnasiums. <laughs> yes. Um, and so like uh, that, that reminded me of just uh, of, of high school basketball. And one, yes. and one of the great things about high school basketball. Uh, I like that it wasn't just like, oh, well, this this uh, peppy little school wins the championship. Right. It, it wasn't that that um, that what like the victory was making the playoffs. Like we don't know what mm-hmm. happened, but but um, uh, and and the victory was like improving over the season of taking yeah. a team of misfits. Uh, and, and you know that's what I loved about coaching is 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 getting people to love the game and to love like learning and to and to focus on on the little things and getting yep. a little bit better. Um, and, uh, you know, only one team gets to win the championship. Yeah. Like almost every team goes home a loser. Um, but uh, what's great about it is like the, the team that humiliated them early in, yeah. in the season that they beat them to make the playoffs at the yep. end. Yep. And, and they used what they had learned and they, they grew throughout the season that, um, that this point guard who was um, kind of quiet and um, ought to have um, really needed to learn leadership that, that Coach Jack taught him leadership. Yeah. Yes. I love that. Yeah. Yep. So, um, I mean, I, so I don't know. One of the things I want to ask is, did you watch this with your wife? Uh, no. Okay. She saw maybe 30 minutes of it. Because I'm curious, is, um, is this a broadly appealing movie or is this just for people like you and me? <laughs> uh, no, I think she would have liked it. I think she really would have liked it. Um, I, I don't, I don't understand. Like, so first of all, Ben Affleck's I've, I've been a, a quietly a growing Ben Affleck fan. He's um, great. And, yeah. uh, and his, his performance here was, was simply stunning. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I'm also curious because I know in real life he has drinking problems. So I wonder if it hit home for him. I'm um, mm. right. He kind of has lost the Batman role because of that. Right. That I, I, I gather that that is so. I'm not um, sure. Yeah. So, but, but a uh, couple of the themes. So obviously this is a movie about re- redemption mm-hmm. because it's called the way back. That's yeah. kind of what redemption is, but it is not cheap redemption. No. Um, and uh, I wrote this down here. So um, um, real redemption. Uh, he, okay. So at an hour and 38 minutes into the movie for the first time, he admits to being a failure. He tells his wife that he has failed her and he failed his son. And it's the first time. And, and, and he had, 
we as the viewer and he as the protagonist has to wait that long until almost the end of the movie. Um, the redemption wasn't in any of the winning of the basketball games. That was all neat and that was all nice. But notice you never, you never see him pick up a basketball, right? Um, I mean, he never picked up a basketball again, right? His father hurt him that badly. I mean, that, that wound was that real. Well, until um, the closing scene. Yeah, which we'll get to, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but so the moment of true redemption, Christopher, and I wrote this down, we cannot negotiate or nuance our sins. Mm. We must fully confess first. The only way to heal is to go through, not around, or you know, land in a certain spot on the board and pass go, collect $200. The only way to redemption for him is through, painfully, painfully through. Um, and, and there is like real pain. He hits bottom. He drunkenly walks into that wrong house and gets yeah. his butt drunkenly kicked by that guy. Yeah. So, so, so <laughs> he's clean for a while, but then he relapses. He relapses. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it's, it's, um, it, it was going to a birthday party of one of his sons, uh, his, his late yeah. son's friends. Um, and when he realizes finds out that that son is going to die, that oh. he, he just, drinks himself silly um and and has a terrible incident where he he's arrested yeah, yeah. terrible but also kind of comic darkly comic yeah. yeah 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 and christopher i mean that that brings me to another theme about addiction um there's a lot of kind of comedy like really funny comedy around drinking um bridesmaids uh, I mean, we, we could probably, with with 10 minutes of preparation, list a bunch of funny movies with hilarious scenes about drinking. Um, this is not one of them. <laughs> no, no. Um, and so, so when I say it's darkly comic, it's it's just like yeah. tragic. That like yeah. he just like runs into a boat and stumbles into the wrong house and is is yeah. is um he. he uses their toilet only yeah. to be have a gun pointed at him and they're like no you're gonna wait for the cops because like yeah you broke into our house and peed in our toilet and like <laughs> like so in that sense it's like kind of darkly comic of like right. like like this this is legit like there are consequences for this behavior right. you, yeah you can't yeah. do this yeah so i had written down uh, the awkward and painful depiction of the degrading and humiliating aspects mm. of addiction um yeah. addiction degrades our humanity um it is not the image of god I mean, yeah. it distorts and degrades. And you see, this is a talented, ma a talented, handsome man who is who is really humiliatingly degraded by this. And um, and he he has to admit it. And he waits and waits. Christopher, he waits so long in the movie to admit it. Um, how about when he's fired? That firing scene. Yeah. Um, by the by, the priest that he respects. Um, and who really um, compels him to take the job in the first place that he doesn't want and knows he's not fit for. Um, he like drunkenly, angrily yells at him and is in denial about everything, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And would rather go down in denial and anger than admitting that he screwed up and let down, uh, let down and Father he, Devine, he... let down the, 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 the assistant coach, let down all his kids. He doesn't say goodbye to the kids. He's just like, and he even lashes out at the assistant coach. He's like, "What are you gonna be? This guy's a math teacher. Are you gonna have him teach? Right? Or are you gonna have him coach? Yeah, right." Yeah. So it's like it's really it's really degrading. So it's the importance. I mean, this is totally like Alcoholics Anonymous one hundred and one. The importance of hitting bottom. Like you gotta hit bottom. Like we can't help you unless you admit it. Like I'm a drunk. I'm hopeless. I cannot help myself. And we see that here. I mean, he doesn't do like the, 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 the that, a, that AA thing, but you know the moment in the movie when he, when he knows that he is helpless.
and he he's ruined his life and the life of his wife yeah and um it's so beautiful it's so beautiful um and it's very christian because there's he, mercy yeah. there she yeah. she has obvious mercy upon him at that moment and so i love that christopher and and speaking of mercy and and um the only way through healing is through um, I love that final scene as we hear the the radio broadcast of the game, which he can't coach, right? Because he's a recovering alcoholic and he's been fired from the team and the movie is brutally honest about that, right? Like he's in no fit state to be a coach, right? So, but he he's by the seashore, you know, in beautiful sunlit California. And, and we, for the first time ever, we see as the viewer and who knows, maybe him for the first time ever, he picks up a basketball and, uh, and you know that somewhere there was a real, a basketball player, someone who truly loves basketball in the writer's room, or who knows, maybe, um, maybe Ben Affleck loves basketball as well, but just the way he caresses it, that's how you pick up a basketball, right? You know what yeah. I mean, Christopher? Yeah. He does that, he sniffs it, which that's the thing, right? Just a couple of dribbles, bam, bam, like that, 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 that satisfaction, that sound, the feeling of it coming up and slapping your hands. Um, and just kind of the way he bounces on the tip of his toes before putting up his first shot. Um, um, it ends with the pure, simple joy of picking up a basketball, feeling it, dribbling it, dribbling it, and shooting it. Almost liturgical. The human mm. body in creative motion, the way God made it to be. And that's all I have to say about that. It's it's a really good movie, Kirk. I this is the second time I watched it, and the whole time I was watching, it, I was just like, I love this. Like yeah. this, like this is, like I loved it more the second time. And so, I mean, I'm gonna go back to this movie. Um, it's it's wonderful. Shall we end in prayer? Let's. The Lord be with you, and with your spirit. Let us pray. Almighty God, you know that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. Keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls that we, that we may be defended from all adversities that may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts that may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Lighten our darkness, we beseech you, O Lord. And by your great mercy, defend us from all perils and dangers of this night. For the love of your only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Next week, Kirk. Next week. <laughs>